Welcome to The Odds Pod. I'm Dave Hendrick. And I'm Ben Hennessy, and we're the team behind the Scout Comics title, The Odds. A story about a mentalist who, after surviving social media-led apocalypse, discovers the powers he once pretended to have are now real. There's also monsters, cannibals, and at least one floating president. Seriously. Anyway, each week we invite a new guest on to share their favourite apocalypse stories with us. Be it a titanic exile, a forced long walk through a cursed earth, or finding yourself in the city of the damned. We want to patrol with pestilence, stakeout, slaughter, and arrest Armageddon. So, today's guest. He's a journalist, editor, and as of quite recently, the author of the book, I Am The Law, How Judge Dredd Predicted Our Future. He is the hardest working droid in Farrag's army, and is of course, Mr. Michael Mulcher. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Wonderful. Yeah, th- thanks for coming, Mike. It's uh, it's it's a long time coming, mm. and I'm I'm just delighted you're here. So, um, what's happening? Keeping busy? It's been uh, a minute since we last talked, anyway. And there's been a book, <laughs> and there's been um, what a pandemic, and then everything else in between. So, yeah, yeah fill us in on all things, Michael. Yeah, well, I, I mean. Uh, I, I... Blimey. Um, I don't know. I mean, you've basically summed it up uh, <laughs> in, in that, um, you know, the, the the pandemic came along and then over the course of that, uh, I lost my mind writing a book um, <laughs> in between uh, uh, being Tharg's publicity droid, um, now brand manager uh, for 2000 AD and um, the Treasury of British Comics, uh, amongst many other things. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've lost my mind, and <laughs> <laughs> seems to be working out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see how I do uh, af- after this. Um, well, during this, to be quite frank, yeah, it, it's uh, it it's been a rough it's been a rough few years, if I'm honest <laughs> with you. Um, we, uh, uh, I mean, just just to sum up my 2020, um, uh, basically the day that lockdown began. Uh, some burly men came and tore out all the um, windows and doors of our house downstairs. Okay. Hopefully, this um, is an organised thing, and there wasn't. Oh just yeah, yeah, yeah. Already. I mean, <laughs> otherwise, Oxford's got a lot rougher than <laughs> most people think it is. Um, a few of those hard and, dons, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> roaming gangs of academics just you know, tearing houses apart. Can't um, trust those academics. Yeah. They're too rough. Um, uh, yeah, we've we've been planning a. a, a Big change to the house, um, which was, you know, going to be fantastic and everything. And so we ended up in uh, what was essentially a bed sit over a brick gazebo oh, no. um, for for seven or eight months. And Ooh. we went kind of properly back into the house uh, mm. for, for, for uh, the best part of a year. So that was that was stressful um, during a global pandemic. So uh, for those who listen to, to to my podcast, which is the 2080 Thrillcast, um, uh, we embarked upon the lockdown tapes, which was basically me in uh, an old walk-in wardrobe, which used which used to I don't know how much you can see behind, but there's a, a bookshelf there. The door yeah. for that walk-in wardrobe used to just be there, um, <laughs> and there was enough space for uh, me a dining room chair um, and uh, an old um, you know those flip top school desks. Yep. Used to yeah. Yeah. Um, with a little in- ink pot, I'd bought one of those like covered in graffiti years ago when I lived in Leeds. Um, so there's just no space for that, and that had just enough space to balance my my MacBook and my work laptop. Yeah. Um, but, but Mike, can I just ask a question? Oh, just sorry oh, for interrupting, but you're right. like you're six foot six more, foot six foot yeah. four, right? Mm. And those desks are made for children. Oh yeah, I had to um uh, I had to get blocks of wood to to 
Prop it over. I mean, to, to be quite <laughs> frank, sitting on that damn chair uh, destroyed my hip anyway. So, right, okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I and I walk like an arthritic seventy year old. Um, so that was very stressful. And then, and then I embarked uh, upon upon this book. Um, did about six months of reading. Wrote one chapter. Realised that uh, I I'd only kind of prodded at the limits of my own ignorance. Um, and then embarked on effectively almost two years of um, discovering all the things that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, and we'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to the book in a, in a bit, but just uh, something I want to ask you about is, uh, you know, a lot of our friends across the water, creators who are working for companies across the water during the last few years, you know, especially 2020, it was pencils down. Mm. They didn't produce, you know, they had a certain amount of issues in the can, but anything that was either starting out or just in kind of proposal was was binned. Um, 2008 kept going. Mm. Yeah. 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 So um, the uh, majority of our readers are subscribers. Um, so uh, I really felt for... Um, I mean, not not just kind of the fellow editorial, you know, the the the, the kind of um, uh, sub level workers in, in, in Thug's um, uh, command module, um, because the, the yeah, you're right, the comics industry just shut down. Yeah, for well, the best part of a year, really. So a lot of creators suddenly found themselves without um, uh, income streams and, and and all sorts. And I, I really felt mm-hmm. for this. but we we were fortunate in 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 that we don't rely. It's an important part of our business, but we don't rely on the direct market mm-hmm. and therefore diamond distribution. Um, you know, uh, people who would normally get their copies from a news agent, WH Smith's, their corner shop, um, they just switch, the, the vast majority of them switch to subscription. Fantastic. Um, and that's kind of continued. Uh, yeah, for, for, for many. So sorry, there, there was no down period for you guys over COVID at all. Then did you guys? Oh God, go if, if anything, got busier. Wow, didn't um, realize that. I just kind of assumed yeah, yeah. everyone slowed down. Wow, wow. Yeah, because because I mean the 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 prog two thousand AD and the magazine continued as normal. Um, the books continued as normal because the book trade didn't shut down. Um, the only difference was that uh, obviously we we couldn't go to the office, so work kind of gave us these quickly purchased plastic Dell laptops, which um, I will... I'll Have you still got it? Uh, no, fortunately, it's been replaced. Um, I stepped on it. Yeah. Um, oh, by accident, yeah? Uh, completely. completely <laughs> yeah. But it's only after about two weeks. But, but bear in mind, this, this, this room used to, um, uh, was our old spare bedroom and then became our bedroom. So there was, there was a double bed in here, plus um, bookshelves, uh, chests of drawers full of our stuff, you know, just absolutely. And it, the room was smaller as well. That's, that's, that's the weird thing. And um, uh, I'd put it down, turned around, went to walk over and to see this crack. And um, basically the fan just, from that point on, the fan just made this really weird noise whenever <laughs> I turned it on. I hated turning it on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, um, and I, I uh, publicity in that situation was, was, not that different from my point of view because you know the vast majority of it happens online yes we do events and and, th- and conventions things like that 
but that just meant that uh, there was so much more to do to kind of rise above the noise mm-hmm. and say we we are keeping going. You know, um, it, it, it's the ideal time <laughs> to, to pick up some to jump on, you know, yeah. and and obviously relying very much on the the uh, absolute heroes of of the postal service and and uh, you know delivery people, which was was uh, a massive uh, benefit for us. Yeah. Um, but you know, the podcast went weekly. In fact, it went twice mm-hmm. weekly at one point. Um, and then I realized that I drive myself insane, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So the lo- the lockdown tapes were basically weekly for what a year, 18 yeah. months. Was it a full year? Mm. Well, wow. yeah. Um, and it wasn't until last year, I think it was that we stopped doing them as lockdown tapes. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> ever, ever since, I think I just burnt myself out because ever since then, all the episodes have been incredibly sporadic. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I'm two weeks behind on the latest episode already. And I just, you know. Yeah. That's, that's allowed. You put in a good shift in the last the last while, you know? 100%, yeah. Yeah, you're way, you're way up on episodes. So, yeah, you know, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know how Thorig page is about the episode or... You know, by the oh, word. I, I, no, he just um, he just doesn't beat me if I. Uh, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> How kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's a lot. I mean, to to take on a house rental, um, to take on the pandemic, to take on extra work, work getting busier, and then to start the book. I mean, that's that's a fairly relentless schedule for for the next two three years. Yeah. 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 It was it was a lot. Was, yeah, um, how, how did you manage your time during that? Because, I mean, are you dedicating days to one thing, days to another, or are you just spitting up the day to, to figure it out? Like, how, how did you manage that? Because there's a lot of research in the in the, in the the Dread Book, a lot of research. Yeah. Um, so I, it was chaotic, I think. Uh, my I, I, I'm easily distracted. Uh, my mind runs in loops and uh, jumps around all over the place. Um, so I wasn't the best at organizing my time, um, particularly with so much going on. And then... Mm-hmm. You know, it, and I, I, I worry that in the remembering, um, and obviously there, there were people who went through horrific things in, in in the pandemic. But just, I we were very fortunate in that we could isolate. You know, we we're middle class. We we live in urban Oxford, um, so we were very fortunate in that regard. But at the same time, you know, the stress of that situation. Not that it's comparable to say working in a hospital, but um, you know, constantly worrying about I've got elderly parents, um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. worrying about our health, um, and it, it just kind of yeah, it was an awful lot, and and it was chaotic, and and I think we're all we're all now dealing, or in some cases, pointedly not dealing with the outcome of those two years, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, um, and I think the, the 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 social and the medical scars are going to last for a long time. I think I just think that for a lot of people, the mental scars of that period are, are, are going to last a long time. Um, and you're right, and you know, I then ladled this book on the top of it like an absolute bloody idiot. <laughs> <laughs> do you, Do you think that was a, a welcome distraction then from no, what was going on? Yes and no. I, I mean, don't. Uh, Let's not forget that, that you know, all the way through 2020 was when it was the, the kind of the second, the the, the the second great kind of Black Lives Matter um, movement because uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it began back in 2014 mm-hmm. um, uh, in uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, um, 
and you've got Donald Trump, then President of the United States, tweeting, law and order, multiple exclamation marks at the end. Um, you've got what happened in, in Bristol with the Colson statue going in the harbour. Oh, yeah. Um, the, you know, the government saying, oh, we, we're going to give instant justice. And you're, and, and I think that was the, the, the one thing that um, really hit me was uh, how overwhelming the pace of events is as I as I'm learning about the foundations of those events, you know, mm-hmm. trying to trying to think about how it all fits together in in into a fifty year narrative. Um, and I was fortunate that I I found certain books. Um, such as the end of end of policing by Alex Vitale, and the politics of the police by a, a British um, criminologist called Robert Reiner, um, that, that help guide me through the themes and and help me pick apart the assumptions that I had, not just about policing, but it made me think. I I believe made me think deeper about Judge Dredd and about mm-hmm. comics, about cultural narratives, about the past and the future. Um, and how they all fit together. So I, I, I was fortunate to have some time just to read. Um, I've, I've told this um, anecdote on, an, on another podcast, but um, it did get it's to okay. the point. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Um, it did get to the point where my wife told me, you can't buy any more books. Right. Because I, basically what was happening was I'd see a footnote in one book I was reading and just go and buy the book. Um <laughs> And it was getting ridiculous. Um, yeah, when you're down to one room at a house to live in and sleep in while the rest of the and then you're stocking it up with books, it's just, it's not convenient, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No. And there was a brief period when uh, uh, my wife and I had to work in the same room as well. Oh, nice. That's and, good for a marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, I, as my colleagues would tell you, I type very loudly. Lovely. Yeah. I, I learned to type on a uh, on a typewriter when I was okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I absolutely destroy keyboards. Is yeah. this really how the Dell broke? You didn't stand on it at all. You were just typing an email one day. Just looks like well, you sit on it. I, I, I used to get told off when I worked in an office um, that uh, I was I was I was far too loud. But you know, when, once you're into it, yeah, yeah, if it's flown, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yes. So look, um, you know, we always ask the big question on this one uh, on this show and uh, it's now time to ask you I think Ben's gonna gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you the question Mr. Michael Mulcher what is your favourite apocalypse? So um, as, as, as you know because uh, I sent you uh, a PDF of the whole thing um, I used to edit uh, a magazine called The End Is Night which is like a small mm-hmm. press mag um, it's that, Excellent uh, by the way Loved yeah, thank you. I, I, hilariously, was about the end of the world. It doesn't seem quite so hilarious now. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, kind of focused on uh, like when she was on zombies, when she was on war, when she was on aliens, when she was on um, uh, zoonosis. So the, the you know new diseases and, and mm-hmm. what do you call it the, the flu apocalypse issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, out of all of them. Uh, I think uh, my favourite is the uh, Frashokoreti, which is the um, which is the the, the, the kind of uh, traditional term for um, the the final renovation of the universe when evil will be destroyed and right will be restored, which is from uh, Zoroastrianism. Okay, which is one of the the, the monotheistic religion from which 
Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all of them kind of spring yeah. out of. Uh, it's, it's one of the uh, earliest um, monotheistic religions. But more relevant to the topic of our conversation, yeah. uh, before I start rambling about that, is um, uh, really my uh, my favourite one is Judge Dredd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I know you, you, you had Rob Williams on, um, and he, he talked about the Apocalypse War, but my my Apocalypse is uh, is the whole world of Judge Dredd. Because mm-hmm. um, I, as, as I explained in my book, um, that that world, um, it's been through an apocalypse. Never mind the Apocalypse War; it's, it's literally a post-apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's already had a nuclear war. Well, it's had multiple nuclear wars now, um, and. Dread and the the judges of Mega City One uh, represent um, the 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 kind of by the fingernails clasping of of a civilization on the very edge of tumbling into change into the future, um, and so the, I think the judges represent a, a, a very particular and, and I think unique. Um, Part in in kind of apocalyptic uh, literature, mm-hmm. which is that uh, they are about are about systems of control, not about destruction per se, but the avoidance of destruction and the violence of that avoidance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, this is getting quite deep into it, but um, uh, I, I I quote um, uh, Nye Bevan in the book where he says, um, "Fascism is the future refusing to be born," and and for me, that's what dread represents is a refusal to allow civilization, mankind to move beyond the moment of its chaos, of its collapse. Um, and, and in doing so inflicting more pain and greater pain. Um, and you know, the, the, that the theme of the book, of course, is how judge dread predicted our future. And, and, and for me looking at, um, what policing worldwide is doing, mm-hmm. um, where it is being asked to, uh, or, or, or being told or volunteering to um, hold the lid down, yeah, on a on a on a system that is is in collapse, yeah, um, you know that that's the direct parallel for me. Um, that you know we are facing existential crisis. We're face, facing an apocalypse. You know, it, 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 it's not even hyperbolic anymore. Um, so uh, you know, but we're not being allowed to change. We're not being allowed to choose a different direction um, that will avert us from this from this apocalypse. So um, yeah, I, I, long long story short, <laughs> my favorite apocalypse is Judge Dredd because. It it is probably amongst all the the um, post apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic uh, literature I've ever read mm-hmm. um, is the one that I think speaks to our moment right now. Far more what than, we're living through, yeah, yeah, far far more. You know, things like The Last of Us, um, you know, all the, all the Hollywood films they do something very particular um, in that they reassure us that don't worry, you will be the one who will survive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Whereas Dread basically goes, you're not in control of this bus. Worry, you might survive, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I came to Dread probably probably a little later than than you guys may have. 
like I, I was probably 14 or 15 when I, when I started reading 2008, I was brought up on American comics, you know? So, so I was that, that strange kid who, who picked up 2008 and was like, he can't write about this, can he? You know? <laughs> and it was like, immediately the satire like hit me in the right between the eyes, you know? Um, but it was also that take on, on power. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that, you know, power at any cost, the cost of your liberty, the cost of, you know, any person's life, did it didn't matter. There was no sense to it. It was just, we have to hold on. We have to, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the thin blue line between chaos and, 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 and the citizens. And, you know, we've got to do this. And that just blew me away because, like, I'd grown up reading Spidey, you know, and yeah, and Secret Wars and Transformers, you know. Mm. Um, and there were these, you know, these cooler kids in school who were like, "You've got to check this out, man! You have to see this," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my my first prog was probably like, probably the Horn God, you know, six okay. six nineteen, six twenty, around then, yeah. Um, that one that was on the cover, so I think Bisley's cover, um. And uh, and I went on from there, you know, and I haven't really looked back. Um, a stack of them over there. I've got the got the the whole part work, um, which I ended yes. up buying twice because I bought one for my mate every time as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. So um, so yeah, so you know, like it, like it's it it's absolutely phenomenal. And I have to say, starting with America mm-hmm. as issue one of the part work, I thought it was genius because you know it's such a great story. But it also boils down that that idea that you know yeah. it, it's it, it's pure control, it's pure fascism, yeah. and we'll always win. You yeah. know, the, like the bad guys in essentially will always win. The powerful will always win. Um, so That's, yeah, I, I had a very similar reaction. I, I remember like reading. I was very late to it. I was in college before I got into 2080. And um, I had just finished reading a Straczynski run on Spider-Man where he has Spider-Man um, help a guy out that he got arrested for stealing stuff from a market, but he was stealing food to go and, and save his family or something. And Spider-Man says, oh, that was a mistake. I should have helped this guy out. And I think like when I got introduced to a Judge Dredd comic, then it was Judge Dredd basically arresting a guy for doing exactly the same thing and putting him away for like, I don't know, 15 years or something. <laughs> it's like yeah, I'm feeling nothing about it. You know, there's no two ways he is he is the law he is justice and this is justice and uh, you're going to take this justice because i said so um but there, there's a theme yeah. there's a theme in the book that's coming through to me mike which is that like change is the enemy in that world and um you know it's the scariest thing because uh, you know the the outcomes are unknown and that's what they're holding on to they just don't want you know they don't want change because they don't know if they can control it Mm. Well, you, you you get this an awful lot in the rhetoric in Dread from him, and and you see this a lot in the kind of law and order rhetoric um, that we're experiencing another spasm of right now, um, where uh, it's taught uh, it's all in binary terms, so it's order or chaos. Either either we have order mm. or we have chaos, and like, wait, wait. <laughs> what? What are your values of those two things? And there's a huge space in between those two things. Yeah, um, uh, that you need to understand. And and I think I think so much of um, the way dread is the certainty that he speaks with 
and the um, implacable black and white way that he views the world mm-hmm. um, is uh, it's it's uh, uh, the more I read up, the more I looked at what what was happening in the world, the more I realised that that I hadn't even begun to scratch the surface of the way that this satire works. I mean, you reference America um, there's a wonderful page um, at the end, which is taken up entirely with a view of Dredd's, like a close up on Dredd's face, not even his entire face. It's like half of his face. And all you're getting is um, a a little bit of his top lip. And the, the visor is just blue. And he's saying, you know, you're living in a dream world. This is reality, and so you know he's looking through a blue filter at the world, and he's yeah. telling you that you're living in a dream. And yeah. it, it, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 no spoilers um, if you've no. not if you've not finished it, but um, you know, I get to the end, and I'm like, John Wang was a bloody genius mm. because um, in the pursuit is <laughs> incredible humble incredibly humble about it as well but um he uh, in 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 the pursuit of effectively what is a job you know you've got to get the scripts on in on time you've you know you've got to come up with all these crazy concepts because you just got to keep the wheel turning and the money yeah. coming in um while doing that he his insight allowed him to see things so clearly. Now, I think a, probably a, 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 a consequence of that, that uh, and, and I've, I've said this before, that, that there's no real room for ego. It's all id. You know, you look you look at the, you know, you sat across from Alan Grant, you're having a good joke Jeez. about yep. the, 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 the um, what's in the papers, and then you boil it down. And then you turn it up, <laughs> you know, you invert it, you, you, you break it, you put it back together. Um, and that, that, that produces, I think, insight that um, in hindsight are incredible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of people, when they were reading that stuff, you know, ourselves included, um, saw that it was satirical, but didn't necessarily appreciate the depth of that of that satire yeah absolutely I, I had this conversation with my wife earlier we were just talking about it and I was saying you know 2008 Judge Dredd especially Wagner Grant um, Carl Squared like they they created a generation of kids who were probably way more advanced from a from a, a humour perspective you know they get satire by the time mm-hmm. they're 13 but they mightn't necessarily understand the full context in terms of you know the the political landscape at the time, um, or you know because it's dread like it can be pulling, uh, it can be taking the piss out of you know the politics of you know ancient Rome, um, you know it can it can pull it can pull um, uh, ideas from anywhere, but it, it it's always like aimed at at, at now and. You know, when you when you compare that to maybe your your average kind of superhero reading kid, i.e. me at the time, you know, that's why I always look at it and I like I, I look back and I go, that's why Brian McGuire was so much cooler, you know, because he read 2008 and you know, and I was reading the X Men and trying to trying to you know figure out why Peter and Kitty had broken up, you know, whereas <laughs> you know he was he was thinking of you know the geopolitical landscape and uh, speaking truth to power all the time, you know. 
but he, well, there is a there is a pretty punk line of thought about all the 2080 books you know i mean like it, it's it's it does comment on the system regardless of the system uh whether it be some of your fantasy stories or whether it be dread um it's 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 pretty front and center in a lot of the work and it's it's really good when you're a, it's it's so clever that it caters to so many different demographics. There's the young kids who are picking up stuff. And then as you kind of say later on, when I was older reading the stuff, I went, oh my God, they, they actually talked about this stuff I don't know, at a, a, for an age group that I didn't think would be aware of this. Mm. But it does, you're right. It does educate us. It does set us up for stuff down the line as well. It's a, it's really kind of clever, clever use because you're getting, I mean, the demographic there must be massive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the whole punk thing is really interesting because I, I, I think it can be, overstated like I say in the book they come they have a common route mm-hmm. which is that 1970 1960s 1970s was a period of great change um and there were a lot of institutions um ways of thinking uh ways of behaving that were very ingrained and were holding on by their absolute fingernails because they didn't want to change and so much in the 1970s so much of the law and order um, politics that that appeared in our uh, in our politics for the first time, um, slightly behind uh, America, is is reactionary. It is reacting to the the liberation movements of the nineteen sixties, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in the stuffy world of British comics, that was as true as anywhere else. So you get someone like Pat Mills, John Wagner, and then Alan Grant coming in. Uh, Jerry Finley Day, of course, mm-hmm. um, all trying to change things, all looking mm-hmm. at the, how the world around them is changing and think, well, actually, what we need is a dose of this. And they're picking that up from from other culture, from movies, um, from politics, everything around them. Um, so, you know, uh, Jerry puts uh, a, a little bit of social realism into um, the girls' comics that he's uh, <laughs> that he's producing for IPC. Yeah. Um, and they face resistance. So when... when um, uh, when Pat and John were brought in to develop, um, excuse me, uh, Battle, yeah, um, which was a response to DC Thompson's Warlord. You know, there, there wasn't a hell of a lot of resistance at IPC. Um, same when, when they were developing Action and uh, 2000 AD, uh, to the point where uh, John Sanders had to basically hide them in a cupboard in the girls' comics department, where nobody thought you know, anything radical would come out of. Yeah, yeah. Um and and so yeah, it, it and 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 in in that process of rebellion, effectively, mm-hmm. which is what it is, um, you 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 do tend to get a lot of examination of what is the status quo, why is it bad, what's going on, you know, and and um everything uh not everything <laughs> in two thousand AD, um but but you know key strips um, and this is the legacy of Pat Mills uh, have have you know very strident points of view in them. Mm-hmm. So something like Flesh is very anti corporate. Um, same with with Harlem Heroes. Um, even Dan Dare, that great icon of British conformism, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, becomes you know a bit of a rogue. Um, and then you have Judge Dredd, yeah, who uh, subverts not just an entire genre, but actually subverts how you tell stories about policing and about um law and order to kids yeah <laughs> yeah with with an essentially faceless hero mm. 
which is a genius move. And it's, it, you know, so much of that comes from Carl Siskela, who is the only um, creator that I'm aware um, on 2080, certainly in those early days, who had actually lived under a fascist regime because yeah. we, we, we so easily forget because fascism is 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 a uh, is not a there's no central tenets of fascism. Mm-hmm. Um, it it is a reactionary politics. So you, um, I think Ezra Pound talked about this. Uh, you, uh, maybe George Orwell um, about how uh, fascism comes in so many different flavors, and um, uh, Franco. General Franco, the great fascist, fascist dictator of Spain, only died in 1974. Yeah, or was it 1976? Mid 70s. Um, you know, uh, Pinochet, who was was uh, he, he was he was a fascist. He was an authoritarian yeah. nightmare. Um, Good mate of Thatcher's. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was he was only deposed uh, by a, by a um, a referendum in the late 80s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, an awful lot of these fascist regimes outlived the most famous fascist regime of all, which was the Nazis. Um, uh, but they just had different flavours to them. So you, you get Portuguese fascism, Spanish fascism, mm-hmm. British yeah. fascism. And what, uh, what do you think of today's movements? Like, there seems to be, well, there is, you know, a bit <laughs> of a swing to the right in... And I don't, like, I don't know if it's if it's meaningful because these guys are always louder than the majority anyway. They always mm-hmm. try to give themselves a bigger platform, a bigger voice, but there does seem to be like a credible, a mm. credible threat from, from the right these days. I, 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 I wouldn't say it's a swing. I'd say it's a process that's been going on since the end of the, first, uh, the end of the second world war. Okay. If not before. Um, so, uh, and I'm about to be very cynical, <laughs> but um up until the 80s um when uh in 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 britain um the the labor party under under kinnock um mm-hmm. effectively expelled the the radical tendency um yeah. in or the militant tendency in the labor party um that's when the, the labor party began to 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 move to the right uh, and certainly in 1992, when um, you have uh, Tony Blair, who is Shadow Home Secretary, you have Michael Howard, who's Home Secretary, and um, the, the the Tories were, were the party of law and order. You know that was their big shtick. Yeah, um, the police were the only public institution to avoid major cuts in the 1980s. Thatcher um, uh, recognised that in order to um, push her reforms, if you want to call them, through, she would need the police in order to do it. So you know, you have uh, various, you have uh, the Battle of All Grieve against the miners, you have the Battle of the Beanfield against the hippies. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's always the, the, the state using the police to, to, to enforce its new social order. Um, and uh, in the conservative mind, uh, more police equals um, less crime. And at the end of the 1980s, there's a huge recession and they have loads of crime. And the Conservatives look at the police and they go, what are you playing at? And it is the great unspoken truth 
about policing and um, I, can never, I can never remember the criminologist's name, but it's a very famous quote where they basically said, police don't stop crime. The police know it, politicians know it, criminologists know it, but the public don't know it. And um, what uh, Blair um, recognised and Kinnock before him as well um, uh, recognised was that the Tories could be outflanked on crime. And so uh, Labour fully buys into law and order politics and you have this arms race in the early 80, in the early 90s between yeah. Michael Howard and Tony Blair all both trying to be tougher and tougher and tougher to just try and outflank the other and you have the famous tough on the crime tough on the causes of crime slogan yeah. um, and actually people aren't listening to the causes of crime bit they're just listening to the tough on crime bit um the whole shift towards um uh, antisocial behavior Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, in the nineties, uh, uh, mean that effectively this law and order politics that infected our politics in around about nineteen seventy two, mm. um, that uh, that that had taken over both major parties and the Lib Dems as well. Um, by the end of the nineties, had fully succumbed to that as well. So uh, then we're in the in the age of the ASBO at that stage. Yeah, 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 and and that only accelerated. Labour got more and more authoritarian um, as 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 their, their their time in office went on. Um, all the while, the Tories just kind of trying to outflank them, and and you know, once you start on that process, you become very vulnerable. Anyway, um, so that that for me explains how we end up at this point where where um, politics has been pushing itself further and further to the right mm-hmm. on the basis of, of law and order politics. As I say in the book, law and order politics speaks of safety and security, but evokes images of the opposite. So mm-hmm. they, they're designed to make you feel afraid. Um, and uh, Spencer Ackerman, who's a, a national security journalist um, in uh, in the States, um, he, he quoted that, Famous saying, which, you know, the, the knife at your throat distracts you from the boot on your neck. And so the the resurgence in extreme right wing um, terrorism, effectively is what it is, uh, has been let out by this mainstream movement of politics towards ever more extreme ends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when, when you see riots outside of hotels... Mm-hmm housing um, asylum seekers, uh, the rhetoric of law and order yeah. makes those people think that's acceptable yeah. and they can get away with it. And actually they, they're, they're, they're responding to la- to the language of politics there. Um, so, and, and, and bringing back to talking about Joe's dread, um, <laughs> what, uh, what I find so fascinating about that is just how at the very beginning, like, you know, 1976, 1977, um, when dread was being developed, uh, you know, so much about those early stories is just spot on, you know, mm. mirroring, exaggerating, ridiculing um, the language that was being used in our politics. Um, all the way through the Judge Cal saga, yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, right up until the point where, at, at the end of the Judge Child quest, where Alan Grant comes on board and shares the workload with uh, with John Wagner. And for me, uh, you know, this isn't to dismiss anything that came before. I've been accused mm-hmm. of, of dismissing, um, you know, the, the previous stories. I'm not doing that at all. But I don't think you 
you cannot acknowledge that once those two start writing together, my God. Yeah, it takes off. Yeah. Strips slips into this other gear and they they're off. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's that's the first golden age of 2000 AD when you've effectively got these two guys writing four fifths of an issue. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I was explaining that earlier as well to to Sinead and like she was like, "But Judge Dredd, right?" I was like, "Yeah, but that's in 2000 AD." Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's Judge Dredd; it's its own comic, right? And I said, "Well, not really. It's got the magazine, and then but mm-hmm. you've got like." You know, every issue of 2008 has dread in it. Oh, okay. So there's an issue of dread in 2008. Well, no, there's about six pages, you know, and back in the day, two of them were color, um, you know, and trying to explain that. And then she's like, right. So why did kids hang around for it? And it's like, well, that's the thing. That's the secret sauce, you know. Funnily enough, but they didn't have to hang around. Like, oh, like you, your, your book came out quickly, right? It wasn't like you're waiting every month for an issue. You're, you're, you're getting no, it's every week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, I was talking to to Matt Bors, who's the the guy who runs the Nib um, uh, satirical yep. magazine, about this because um, he was lamenting the fact that um, America doesn't have a 2000 AD, um, and and we were discussing the, the the reasons for that. And ultimately, I think it's because they're used to monthly comics. Yeah, that you know, if you're only getting six pages of something once a month, that's just not satisfying. Um, whereas, you know, you, you get 22 or 29 pages of something. That's, that's a story that's, that's satisfying. I can wait a month after this. Um, you know, they've done bits and bobs of experimentation mm-hmm. in the States. There have been anthology titles, but they tend not to be long form, um, um, uh, uh, kind of, um, long form storytelling. Mm. Um, and so, you know, even something like Wednesday comics that DC did, yeah. You're- you're still not necessarily seeing the long-term build-up of character and, you know, it's established characters and you're telling a contained story and all this. And all. So, um, but I think I, I think that gives 2018 Judgment in particular um, a a nimbleness. Mm-hmm. Nimbleness? Nim- yeah, I, I think you're right nimbality. with that. Nimbality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a, a quality of being nimble. There we go. Um, I like it. I want that to be a real word, even if it's not. <laughs> That's the uh, uh, that's the episode T-shirt nimbleness. Yeah, <laughs> with um, uh, that allows it to react, not necessarily to what's happening in the week of publication, mm-hmm. but allows it to pick uh, more accurately um, and astutely pick up on the. You know, I, I, it, the the moments that really struck me um, were where, I mean, they're coincidences at the end of the day, but they're instructive coincidences. So, you know, the the, the first episode of Kids Rule OK oh, yeah. in action hit the stands literally the Saturday after the Notting Hill riots in yeah. 1976. Um, you I know, mean, I, you couldn't I, ask for better marketing. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, this, this was something that came out later, but, you know, the, the week um, of the... Uh, first episode of Revolution, which is um, uh, the, the the story when when subtext became text, and and John and Alan were very specific about Judge Dredd is the bad guy; he's doing bad things. Yeah, um, and you you get um, uh, Justice Department infiltrators sparking a riot on purpose, so you they've got an excuse to wade in. You know, literally the week that that is published, an undercover officer is alleged. A uh, police officer is alleged to have set fire to a department store 
Um, he's undercover in like an animal rights um, organization. Um, yeah. And just just all these little things, you know, like block war, um, when, you know, the, the, the city goes from being a kind of techno future to being a, a techno dystopia. Mm-hmm. And you get these battles between the blocks, and you know the, the the city gets described as like you know it's on it's a boiling point, and and people are getting more and more frustrated. That came out like six months before uh, the Brixton riots, yeah. Um, and I think just before the St Paul's riots in Bristol, which was the 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 um, uh, the kind of um, uh, herald of what was to come in 1981, yeah. Um, and and. I, I, Again, it's a point that I love, but um, there was a report on inner city, inner, city, inner city life for black people in Bristol, and it was called um, Endless Pressure, and that came out in 1980. Yeah. And you've got John, John Wagner writing exactly the same thing because yeah. you can see it happening around him. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, he, he, he spent a chunk, a huge chunk of his life in Greenock. Yeah, yeah. those you know huge tower blocks and and do you do you think like he he had a bit of a I suppose a unique upbringing in the sense that like he's American born mm. brought up in working class Scotland um so he like do do you think that that's in there I always think there's a bit of a an eye on the states <laughs> in. It kind of a kind of a wry eye on the states with with, with dread, um, uh, certainly from his perspective. I, I I don't think it's right. I think it's clear eyed. Hmm. But John is uh, a great lover of um, noir and detective fiction um, and spy fiction, and mm-hmm. you know the the tradition in American writing of um, grittiness of um, you know noir monosyllabic. Um, mm-hmm. Characters who are, you know, rough, rough men, but uh, they get the job done. And and you know, um, there's there's a book called Gunfighter Nation, which also makes a very effective doorstop. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that talks about the evolution in American culture of the the western into the police thriller, yeah, and beyond. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, you get the G-men in the 1940s, you get the flat foot detectives, you you know, you get the private eyes. And then by the 1970s, you've got Hill Street Blues, you've got Kojak, um, all these characters who, uh, it's gone from being the maverick, mm-hmm. per se, outside of the system, yeah. to your dirty Harrys, who are the mavericks inside the system. Yeah. Using the um, system for their own ends. Yeah, and yeah. that's what that's what makes dread what makes dread so uh, unique is that um, he's uh, he's not a maverick. Mm-hmm. He's the exemplar of the system. Yeah. He's not pushing it back against the system. He is the system. Yeah, he's the um, absolute pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he changes the law when it suits him. Sometimes you know, oh, oh. he he is he is his own justice here. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I I I think so so often when uh, someone. Quite often when they hear about my book, they go, well, the difference between Dredd and the police is that, you know, Dredd just enforces the law and is fair and scrupulous. If you actually read the stories, you realise he's not quite like that. And, <laughs> you know, you you get the, the security of the City Act where, um, and it's, it's the, I talk about it in the book, it's the moment in Revolution where where um, uh, Silver, Chief Judge Silver says, you know, I want the democracy movement stopped. 
uh, by any means necessary. And Dredd says, does that include breaking the law? And uh, Silver says, on this, you write the law. And quite often Car- people... Carte Blanche. Yeah. yeah. And quite often people kind of look at that and go, well, no, Dredd wouldn't break the law. He wouldn't bend the law. But all Silver is doing is reminding him he already has all the power he could possibly want. Mm-hmm. Because as he keeps reminding us, he is the law. <laughs> that's it, man. He is the law. And 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 that's the the the, the fascinating thing about people's perception of the law as a as a set of rigid rules that one either breaks or or doesn't break, mm-hmm. as opposed to a system where a human being is is deciding how they're going to interpret the law, how they're going to enforce the law, what kind of behavior the law allows them to exhibit. Um, you know, it, 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 it's particularly acute in America, but, uh, you know, a, a family friend um, who many, many years ago was basically um, a bit rude to a police officer um, after being caught speeding mm-hmm. ended up with a heavier fine. Yeah. Because he was rude. Police officer. So the police officer was like, well, actually, I'm going to enforce the, the the complete letter of the law and go as far as my powers will allow me to do so because you've been rude to me. Um, so the law is a malleable concept in our world. It's a malleable concept in Dredd's world. Um, it is not the arbiter of right and wrong. It's not the arbiter of morality. It is not mm-hmm. clear cut. Um, and it certainly is, is not um, the means by which a society truly functions. You know, in this country, we, yeah. in, 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 well, in the Western world, we talk about the rule of law, um, uh, whereby, you know, nobody is above the law. Um, it's a fascinating and very sweet sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of people who are above the I law. I mean, well, like surely the last 50 years has taught us that the, the, there are plenty of people who are above yeah. the law. Yeah. Um, and so dread represents this kind of liberal fiction of policing yeah mm-hmm. um and the character exposes it for what it is which is a system yeah. of control and order um the think doesn't think twice about brutalizing the people it says it's protecting um, no, as long as he sees it in the end of justice, it's fine. He can do whatever. Well, I mean, he you know, we talk. Yeah. He talks about justice, but show me where there's justice in Mega City One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His his interpretation of justice is order. It's it's order and it's retribution. Yeah. Um, and you're as likely to die from the first as you are. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a big appeal, I think, because. You, we we reading this have an idea of of, of law and justice, but the, the best thing to do is what's Dread going to say about that? What's his idea about it? And that's <laughs> that's that's the big thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that the the Carl Urban film got that essence uh, where it's great just kind of seeing it in practice, um, and and it's just a lot of fun despite the fact it's it's horrendous at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, Nick Lazard, who's the the uh, culture editor for the New Statesman, is is a uh, an old school fan of Dread. Mm-hmm. Really, I, 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 mem- <laughs> I remember him saying just uh, uh, just recently, um, uh, you know, why why do liberal milk toasts like myself love Dread yeah. so much? And it's because he reduces the complex down to the simple, and we enjoy everyone enjoys seeing 
uh, people get their comeuppance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's great humor in in what Dredd does with that, which is he, he inverts it. And there's a whole chapter in the book about criminalization and how the, the judges effectively criminal have criminalized the entire population, um, whereby we see people who didn't, who don't deserve it, Mm-hmm. Uh, get, get, get a comeuppance that shouldn't be theirs. And and coming back to a, a, a point you, you made earlier, Dave, um, there is a long strand in British culture um, uh, of uh, a kind of, it's, it's a moral landscape of comeuppance going all the way back to Ali Sloper and beyond, you know, into um, characters in Dickens, Shakespeare, yeah. um, uh, of, of delight in seeing the pompous pricked and, you know, the mighty brought low. Um, and that's the source of so much of Dredd's humour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is uh, seeing people we don't like. And of course, that, and that, that's one of the roots of law and order politics yeah. is we'd like to see people we don't like get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. As we say over here, they had it coming. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And unfortunately, if you're okay with that, then one there's people who won't like you. Yeah. The mm-hmm. way of living. Um, but you know, you, you look at the work of of Ken Reed, of Leo Baxendale. Um there's uh, I always come back to, to Faceache, which was um oh, yeah. uh, great opus. Yeah. The the moral landscape of that strip is wonderful because usually it's it's Faceache who is um uh, delivering the comeuppance by playing a trick, yeah. by you know uh, changing his face to scare somebody uh, who's, who's who's being pompous or silly or, or tyrannical. Um, but on the occasions when he abuses his power, he gets his comeuppance. You know, there's there's, there's one episode. Um, I think I've seen the original art for this actually. Um, wow, where uh, uh, he. Um, the, 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 the contortion for, for for those who don't know, Faceache is able to change his face to to whatever he wishes. Yeah. As the strip goes on, his powers grow, so he ends up being able to change his entire body. Um, and uh, there's there's one episode where um, he turns into an elephant to. Scale I've up seen. Him. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, the guy still has his cap called, on. Yeah, yeah, the guy calls the zoo. Yeah, you see, Faceache being carted off to the like what what a horrible fate for that child. But, yeah, um, and he's just a kid. Like, he's a, but he's abused his powers. Yeah, and that's all part of the the moral landscape of that stuff. And yeah. so, yeah. we 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 naturally wish to see those who do bad things punished. Yeah, mm-hmm. the difficulty is, is that in the real world, that's a very complex thing. You know, even just deciding why, like the the great question that's that's befuddled criminologists for decades, hundreds of years. Um, why do people commit crime? And when you're asked to sit in judgment, anyone who's served on a jury will know the the, the weight of that task. But Dredd just comes in and goes, well, that, that guy's guilty, that guy's innocent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, 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 and as, a, as, a, as a reader of the comics, you have the unique privilege that you see the crime being committed. You know who is guilty and who, is, who isn't. Excuse me. Um, so in, in, in response to, to, to Nick's 
comments, you know, it's like that that's the appeal of dread. He simplifies that which is complex. Mm-hmm. And the world makes some kind of moral sense. Um, but there's a, a, a criminologist called um, Stuart Shangold who uh, talks about how the politics of law and order um, try to convince you that intractable, complex problems can be boiled down to simple solutions. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, it makes you hand over and acquiesce um, to... It all solutions. Uh, to, to to simple yeah. solutions, which is hitting people over the head with a mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was that guy. It was his fault. He did it. <laughs> so la- last question for you, Michael. Yeah, okay, and it's it's a really simple question about dread, but it's a t- when when I was younger, and you know, every so often at a convention or whatever, and I'm sure you run into this. I'm sure you've been asked this loads of times, but I have to now. It's a bit of a litmus test for me. The people who are yeah, dread. You know, versus the people who go, yeah, dread. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's your question? So the question, <laughs> the, the, the question is, I mean, like that's that. To my mind, that seems to be that seems to be a code to live by. If if someone is 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 um is cheering for for Judge Joseph Dread, um, they're cheering for the wrong guy. If you if you if you ask me. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you do you see it that way, or? I, I mean, yeah, I, I I I refer to him in the book as being a Rorschach test. That you can tell an awful lot of people, uh, an awful lot about somebody based on their reaction to a character like Dread. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's different. Uh, the Punisher gets brought up an awful lot, and I understand why because you know, um, the police and even postal workers. Um, yeah. You know, wearing the Punisher bus drivers, yeah. Yeah. just yeah. Oh, it's madness. But um, that that's different. That's that's a very particular power fantasy uh, version of that. Um, with dread, um, it, in in that kind of circumstance, it's less than just a, it, it's not really a straight power fantasy. It's what if I was in charge of the system? Yeah, and I would be able to do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, of course, every, everything about liberal democracy is about checks and balances and constraining power, not allowing somebody to use power yeah. as they as they see fit, or at least that's the the theory behind it. Um, I mean, I, I I've been at Rebellion for what twelve years now, um, so I've done a fair few US shows, and I will never get over the NYPD cop who came up to our booth. Um, at uh, New York Comic Con, uh, dropped like a two hundred dollars on the booth, and was going on about how much he loves Judge Dredd, and oh, wouldn't it be great if if I could do that? And I just whoa, I, 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 I you know, I, I, two problems there. Number one, he's just spent an awful lot of money on our booth. Thank you, sir. Um, and those, those are books that I don't have to carry at the <laughs> convention center. Yeah. Um, and number two, he has a gun. Mm. Also. Hello, sir. Yes. <laughs> Can I carry those books for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I once went to a party in Baltimore. Um, Brave man. Oh yeah, it was in, it was it was a nice part of Baltimore. Okay. Um, in that it wasn't really in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, there, there was a cop there uh, at a party, off duty, armed, who spent the entire evening trying to convince me it was only a matter of time before the British police. Jesus, uh, um, and and you know, uh, as as I point out in my book, 
They are now because they've got tasers and a taser is a gun, um, whether a less lethal rather than non-lethal uh, weapon. Mm. Um, and I can't have an argument like that with a man with a loaded gun. No, you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. Let that argument and, pass. Yeah. And then about two hours later, I saw him doing a keg stand um, uh, with, with his gun still in his holster. So, you know. Gun falls out, goes off, shoots him in the wrist, he falls down, looks silly, and then he gives I up his gun for the rest of his life. The, the, the story. potential loss of beer, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, still, he still has a right to, to shoot himself at a, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At a rager. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's protection. Yeah, it's, those, those kind of moments are scary. You know, they're 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 inspiring the wrong stuff and the wrong people. You know, they 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 are, and I I I think that's that was one of my motivators behind writing the book is you know, um, to challenge not just people who are like I wish I all police were like Judge Dredd, but also um, that notion of well, but he's but he's one of the good ones. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. he's he's harsh but fair, et cetera, et cetera. And um that needs that balloon needs popping. Because yes. what that is doing uh is fostering this notion of uh, the good cop. You know, um uh, which uh allows a system that uh, that brutalizes people. Yeah. Yeah. To um, sustain itself to perpetuate itself um, because um, you know we're told no 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 we're the good cops yes well how do I know mm. and what are the what are the circumstances in which you stop being the good cop you've just got so much power yeah um, and I say this as a middle class white man in England yeah. you know I've, I I've had two two interactions with the police in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, one when I was a kid, you know, and I, I went to university in a, uh, a depressing Northern town from like rural Northamptonshire and, uh, first night at uni in the queue for the university, um, nightclub. And I saw a police officer with a semi-automatic machine gun. What? And that freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's understandable, yeah. I'd come Welcome. from I'd, I'd come from a town that had one police officer. Yeah, everyone knew his name, and he yeah. knew everyone's name. Yeah, he, I'd, I'd be quite frank; he was a prick. But um, well, of course, <laughs> yeah. he, he, it's 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 that kind of thing. And 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 we kid ourselves in 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 Britain, especially that we're some kind of you know peaceful, law-abiding society. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know we're not as bad as America. Nowhere is it as bad as America, but it doesn't get us off the hook. No, um, you know, there's. Uh, I don't know if you've got to it yet, Dave. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. There's an entire chapter in the book about um, how the British pol- uh, British policing is a colonialist um, institution. Yeah, uh, learn yeah. all its tricks in Ireland and hmm. uh, Kenya and Malaya. Um, so you know. There's a line in the book that's, you know, Britain has its George Floyds too. Mm. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, if you look at the, the recent report on the Met, um, my God, you know, I mean, we <laughs> we all knew, you know, and certainly we all knew over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think an awful lot of people either don't know or they're just willfully 
Mm. Well, you, there's, there's, um, but don't you have you have the uh, the commissioner coming out and saying he he won't use the the term um, systemic racism mm-hmm. in reference to the police because it's a politicized term, and it's slowly coming out that the government have stepped in. The Home Secretary Braverman has stepped in and said you're not to say that you're yeah. not you know, and so they're still pulling pulling the strings there because it suits them. Yeah, and and they've got they've got their own constituencies, and I'm talking about the police here. Um, mm. You know, as as chief constable of the Met, um, you've you've got to keep the police federation happy. Um, you've got to keep your rank and file happy, and words like systemic, um, the police have always balked at that because, mm. um, particularly when talking about racism, um, as far as they're concerned, it, it, it brands them all as racist. Yeah. Which is a fundamental misunderstanding of the the term either institutional or systemic. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you have an institution that does not want to change. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of something. Something was it the judges? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And and we've been through this before. Um, uh, Scarman in uh, 1982. Um, uh, the Stephen Lawrence yeah. in 1999. Yeah. Um, and now the Casey Review, and they'll just keep saying the same things because they're looking at the same institution. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I know serving police officers who are at both ends of um, the opinions. On yeah. Like and uh, some of them do good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some of them do important work, but you cannot allow that <clears throat> to cloud what the Met does to communities of color, to women, yeah. mm-hmm, um, yeah. what it allow, what, you know, the, the the crimes it allows its officers to go to get away with, um, and even when it pulls them up on crimes that they've committed, it doesn't fire them all. No, you know, no suspensions uh, or investigations into them, but they keep and, them in, in their roles. And this is the institution into which we invest the state's monopoly on violence. Yeah. And there should be no more. There should be no greater controlled institution in our in in our states than the police. Yeah. Um, but they don't like that. No. No. <laughs> so are we are we on route two judges? Do you think? Oh yeah. <laughs> is, no, is the pipeline. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm. It's not even yeah. an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, you know when when. Um, uh, and the, and this really began with with um, uh, the kind of antisocial behaviour stuff. Which is effectively a way of criminalizing people that that um, couldn't be criminalized any other way. So mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't know if you know, an ASBO was a civil order. Yeah, um, if you breached it, it became a criminal offence. Mm-hmm. So they could haul you in front of the court, um, and so that was a way of getting people into the criminal legal system um, that kind of flew under the radar uh, before. And that process has just accelerated. So you've got Rishi Sunak and uh, Swala Braverman um, talking about instant justice. Yeah, reminds About me of something. We'd all be afraid. I, I, yeah, know. the scary couple of words there together. Exactly. Yeah. If, if if you look at the the power grab that the the state gave itself, um, uh, with the COVID regulations. Now, I, I, it's very important to separate this out from the anti-vax, mm-hmm. um, anti-lockdown mob, who are just idiots, um, and and fundamentally don't even understand the the, the concepts that they're, you know. Yeah, of, never mind the actual intricacies of it or how uh, infections work. Yeah, but they're, they're, <coughs> what what is inescapable is that 
um, the state and the police in particular. Um, there's a really great book called Police in the Pandemic um, that talks about how uh, the uh, the state didn't necessarily look at the pandemic as a health emergency. It looked at it as a law and order emergency. So um, the first major uh, bit of legislation that the, the government brought in with these huge sweeping powers to give to the police because they just mm. assumed, because they're the law and order fanatics, that without harsher law, society will just fall into chaos, that we are incapable of of, of actually behaving ourselves mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, because they have a very dim view of society uh, and, and of human nature. Um, so the, 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 there was this huge power grab. The powers were abused quite roundly um you know fines issued for nothing yeah um and it, it, it it's important it's grim um but it's important that when um wayne cousins uh stopped uh sarah everard mm-hmm. he cited you know yeah fine incorrectly but he used yeah the threat of covid regulations to um, get her to uh, acquiesce, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, because he understood the power of his position, and that um, you know, many, many, many police saw these COVID regulations as just well, I can do what I want, yeah, yeah. So um, with without, unfortunately, the humour of John Wagner and Alan Grant, I say absolutely, we're on the road to having. Um, Third, what they call third force gendarmerie type um, police um, in Britain within, I mean, uh, so so much of this stuff um, has happened already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I go into some detail about the special patrol group, which was formed in the 1960s and used in the 1970s, um, whereby uh, rather than allow the government to create a third force that they wouldn't be in control of, um, the British police just created their own gendarmerie. Um, and, and and anyone from the uh, kind of working class black areas of Paris will tell you all about what it's like to be on the receiving end of the gendarmerie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these things have a tendency to happen. Uh, uh, weapons have made their way onto our streets in the hands of the police um, without anyone kind of voting on it. Uh, um, invasive facial recognition technology, uh, predictive policing. No one's voted on this stuff. No one's actually, uh, you know, properly asked us. Mm-hmm. It's just what I call the the cast iron law of necessity. Yeah. Where and it's just necessary for us to have yeah. this power. It just um, slowly escalates. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, the, it's all gone. Do you think with the inevitable change in Westminster – in the next couple of years, do you think? Because my God, they can't get elected again. But do you think Starmer will stall things there? Or... Oh God, no! He's 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 even worse than them. Yeah. So he was. He's, he's literally CPP. part of that system. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, um, both from his time as um, director of public prosecutions, mm-hmm. um, all the rhetoric that's come out of, of, of the Labour Party over the last thirteen years suggests that not only did they not learn. Uh, about the um, inadequacies and uh, failings of their law and order rhetoric when they were in power, they've actually accelerated. So when Angela Rayner was um, a shadow home secretary, mm-hmm. you know, she gave that interview um, uh, and to a degree she claims that she's been misquoted, but 
it's a funny thing to misquote over where she wanted police to shoot first and ask questions later with terrorists yeah, to, to, to basically harass criminals constantly. Um, and it just, they've learned nothing. Mm-hmm. These policies don't solve the problems. They just, as I say in the book, they get the police to screw down the lid ever tighter mm, yeah. on the boiling pot. Um, so, you know, and and um, I think it's Yvette Cooper now is um, Shadow Home Secretary. Yeah. And again, she's, she's absolutely no better because they're in hock to this kind of politics where the only thing they can do to get the headlines, <clears throat> to punch through to, to, to that group in the middle who might yeah. go either way, and are very responsive to to um, ideas and, and and issues on crime. It's just a further fall of our further lack of ability from the rise of populism and the fall of statesmanship. And it's just yeah, yeah. didn't really associate Judge Dredd with that before, but it's 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 hard to avoid now. You spell it out, you know. And they they're, they're arguing they're arguing over a small and smaller section of of society mm-hmm. um, as they strangle the wellspring of 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 liberalism, which is democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, so we, you know, we're getting mandatory voter ID in Britain, um, which is yeah. Well, I never thought you'd get that, and just devastating. And, yeah. and you know that that is that is a <laughs> it's a goddamn right wing conspiracy. Hmm. You know, and but they understand the benefits of using rhetoric like that, um, uh, because it 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 restricts the. The, the electorate even more to the people who they already appeal to. Yeah. Um, and like ID it, cards. I mean, that was on the BBC News. That was on Newsnight for 10 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. People debating the benefits, the pros, the cons of ID cards. And then they just bring them in. Yeah. 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 Because what 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 government has learned is, is that um, it can do what it wants. And that's <clears throat> that's You're- from fifty years of um, uh, a system that was imperfect to begin with being hollowed mm. out even further. Um, with, with it has to be said, three unelected prime ministers, and yeah. that's not even the worst bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> so we're increasingly getting home secretaries that are, um, uh, are running the country by edict. I didn't think you'd get worse than Pretty Patel, but here we are. Like, it will it will always be worse, you know. <laughs> and and the thing, if um if you think about uh, uh, Willie Whitelaw, who was um yeah. incredibly long serving Home Secretary under um, Margaret Thatcher, you know he he brought in the short sharp shock. Yeah. In the nineteen eighties, effectively reinstituted Borstal, um, uh, particularly for young men uh, in in kind of military style camps. Yeah, it's almost national service. Yeah. yeah, and 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 this this is why I think Dredd is such an important figure in our in in our culture and our politics. Is is you keep hitting things and you're not solving them. Mm-hmm. You're just making trying to make yourself feel better and hurting people, not solving problems, which is the the whole point of the goddamn state. Yeah. Um, is to is to benefit our happiness and human progress, not to keep hitting us mm. when we raise our voices. Um, again, I say this as a white middle-class man. Um, 
you know, and 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 for for decades and decades and decades, it's been the people on the margins of our society, the uh, the the people who feel the wrath, yeah, and the sharp end of the of the law and order stick. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I say in the book, it's it's the politics of the stick with no attendant carrot, um, <laughs> and it, it, it you know it's not solved any of our problems. Our problems have only got worse. Yeah, yeah. And they're getting worse at exactly the point that we really need them to get better. Yeah, for um, real. Because we're we're facing an existential crisis. Yeah. Um. So, um. Uh, uh, who knows? Maybe the dark judges will show up at some point. You know, and uh, <laughs> do us a favor. Uh, well, yeah. I get mean, we early. haven't got time to talk about that. But then you get into the whole <laughs> the whole thing about crisis politics and crisis policing. But. Yeah, I mean, just in case uh, there are still people listening to this who haven't yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, got down the pub. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it, it's uh, the thing that really strikes me about uh, about dread is the strip doesn't offer solutions. It doesn't offer hope because I think uh, deep down it's a very cynical uh, strip, and it, yeah. it knows about the paucity and the weakness of hope, which is that um, hope can make you think everything's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know, hope for the best, cross your fingers. And that doesn't lead to action. That leads to apathy and sadness and depression. There's not too many hopeful characters running around the streets of Mega City 1. No. But they're, they're, they're there and they, they deal with that world in their own particular ways. Mm-hmm. So you get somebody like Chopper. Yes. Who, you know, deals with it in a very individualistic way quite a libertarian way that the, the way to, to 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 be self-fulfilled as an individual is to escape and to yeah. fly away um of course that's not an option for 99.99 percent yeah. of yeah. the population of mega city one um but in the modern era you get chimpsky um uh by ken nyman and, and pj holden yeah. who's this character you know a sentient ape Aren't we all? Um, which uh, who who is very much about protecting his friends and his community, um, and understanding that the whole point of resisting the judges is to save what is important, not just to tear it down in a nihilistic way, um, because that's how the the judges win, because they can portray that as chaos, as you know, anarchy, as the the terrorists of total war and and people like that when actually um solidarity uh means um in the words of a, a t-shirt i just bought my wife for her birthday um you know we are all that we really have oh. so the way to change the world the world that you want to change it to is one in which there is solidarity yeah. Not 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 the individualism, the atomized individualism of 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 the way our society is now, and the way it is in Mega City One. It's um, uh, community solidarity, uh, progress. Yeah, excellent. That's a happy note to leave it on, really. You know, yeah, yeah. I, like I think that. so, man. Yeah. yeah. I wish yeah, I put that in the book. To be quite frank, <laughs> sequel. Yeah. Oh, God. Um. Before yeah. we go, Mike. The usual, where can people find you? Um, they, they, you can find me on, they can find me on and off on Twitter. Um, I'm at Molcher. Um, I'm the same on Instagram. Um, uh, fairly intermittent. Um, I, I wish I had a newsletter. but Oh, I've got a Medium blog, 
So go. it's uh, Michael Dashmulcher at Medium or whatever it is. Um, and I, I intermittently um, blog on there, mostly about the book. Cool. And subscribe yeah. to the Thrillcast, the Thrill Mail. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry, day job. Other hat. <laughs> um, yes, uh, you, can, you can subscribe to the 2080 Thrill Mail, um, to the, the 2080 website, and also the, the Thrillcast, um, which um, it's slightly less regular than it used to be, but, uh, you know, bear with There's me. There's a wealth of content up there. It sure is, yeah. If anyone's looking forward to YouTube, uh, 2080 account, it's all there. It's, it's, it's a goldmine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thanks for joining us on the Odds Pod, Mike. It's been great. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Odds Pod. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for the odds coming soon from Scout Comics. And please tell us what your favourite apocalypse is. You can find me on Twitter at Benessy. That's B-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And me on at Dave Hendrick. Big thanks to our producer, Adrian Carty, and we'll see you at the end of the world.